all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. <laughs> We're going to have to put a moratorium on those pretty soon. Like, I, I don't know how They're more getting out of control. I don't know how much more ridiculous they can get. <laughs> it's like uh, it, it's starting to creep into that territory where that show The Real World went. You said you watched a couple of those I watched on MTV. Boston and Seattle are the ones I remember the most. Yeah, I stopped I, watching it like Las Vegas because it got really, really That famous. was the one where I stopped watching like halfway through it. I'm like, okay, they just put a bunch of dude bros and hot girls in there. And, uh, in hey, a like, hot tub and hey, there was a pregnancy scare. Let's find out if they all have sex with each other. I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, God. So how does it remind you of the real world? I'm just saying, like it's oh, it's, it's getting, getting it's getting to the jump the shark moment. <laughs> I may just have to stop. Well, <laughs> it's okay. We we need our listeners to vote. Then maybe I'll put up a twiddle there you go. twiddle poll. Twiddle poll. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Housekeeping. Not a ton. Um. Other than we do have a discussion group that I'm starting to understand <laughs> what that means. Yeah. I, well, I thought that's just what Facebook was, but yeah. apparently there are subgroups of Facebook, just like there are subgenres of metal. Yeah, yeah, sure, like Norwegian <laughs> death metal. Yeah, there are subgenres of Facebook, apparently, <laughs> yes. which I didn't know about. And it's more exclusive because you have to ask to join, and you can get banned. Maybe that's it. I guess I don't know. Anyway, can't you just unfriend somebody? Isn't that isn't that the same as banning somebody? I would think so, but yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> but a few people have joined, and it's very nice. Um, I put hints as to this week's episode up, um, and Quincy got it like that. Okay. I and I responded. I was like, "God damn it, Quincy! <laughs> he's just so on it. He got it." Um, but that's just because he's. A smart little whippersnapper, so. But um, also just wanted to give a, a shout-out to our our loyal listeners. You guys are awesome. Yes. We had some not-so-loyal listener interaction today, so. And for the fun of it, for me. Are you going to call me out? It had to do with something you said, not me. <laughs> yes. After Blind Joke Gates. I guess I deserve to be the brunt of Dead Children Gate because my. It wasn't so much a joke as an actual observation on Dead Children and finances, but it was. (laughs) See, it was just from a business perspective. Business is very cold. And remember, I have been taking nothing but business and and finance courses for three solid months. I'm thinking in a lot of numbers. So, what you're saying is you're going to become cold. Uh, haven't I? I feel like I already am, at least towards children, a little bit. A little bit. Actually, that's more of a lot bit. Yeah. I don't <laughs> wish them dead, okay? I really, really don't. But just in case they do. There's an upside. <laughs> Again, I wasn't going to go there. No. But you led me to that clip. I did. Anyway. I did. Anyway. I'm sorry I drove you there. But um, we had some... Very nice comments from Alcinder and Steven, who both recently um, 
suggest or who both suggested topics that we covered recently. Yes. So, so yeah, uh, that was that was very nice. We appreciate nice comments. It's nice to hear nice things. And I am back in one piece. You are from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Um, She's I, head territory. I heard the most Wisconsin thing you could probably ever hear yesterday when I was because uh, I was not flying out until four fifty yesterday. Monday afternoon. This is well. We're recording on a Tuesday. Yeah, this will come night. out in about a week. Yeah. Um. So the Milwaukee Brewers and Chicago Cubs were playing a one-game playoff, essentially to see who was going to win the division. And me and my buddy that I went to the game with, we're like, yeah, let's go to the bar and check it out because we we don't have to go anywhere anytime soon. And this girl, our waitress, comes up to us. She's like. It's like, hey, how you guys doing? We have two for one Miller Lights right now. <laughs> we're like, yes, we'll take, we'll take those. And in, she was in, like, where you were, it really was the national local beer. It really was. No, it was the local. The local it, it was local, the it was local, the local, local national, national beer. beer. There you go. That's the difference. <laughs> and uh, so, as far as the most Wisconsin thing ever, she the next words out of her mouth were, "I'm sorry to tell you, we're out of the cheese curds." <laughs> Preemptively. <laughs> Let me preface this entire day by saying, we're out of the fucking cheese curds. Don't ask me. Pretty that much. That is very Wisconsin. Yes. Very Wisconsin. But um, if anybody out there listening is an NFL fan or just a fan of a team, if you're because every team will play in every city at some point, I highly recommend going to Green Bay. It was... Lambeau Field. It was awesome. I had a blast. Um it's a stadium that is literally in every aspect in the middle of a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There were houses across the street from the stadium. Yep. Like not one or two, like whole neighborhoods across like, the street from like the stadium. Like the old Orange Bowl, like we mentioned. Yeah. Like we were talking about, yeah. yeah. And not like across the street and like, you know, oh, it's a mile that way and there's nothing in between. No, literally. I mean <laughs> across the street were people's houses. Were people charging to park? Yes, a couple people were. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But most people had, um, I'm guessing the real estate there is pretty nice in that section. Right. But um, most people, and this is a very northern thing to do, pretty much everybody I saw, they turned their garage into a bar, and that's where everybody's. <laughs> or they turned their backyard into like an upper deck type yep. of sports pub. I was telling you about that. Yeah. Like everybody built up their decks uh-huh. behind their house about 10 to 15 feet high, uh-huh. so you could kind of. Get an overview. So it was, it was incredible. I had a blast. Very good. <laughs> Except for the fucking actual game. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a different story. I in which your bills. I, I won't go into scorlish? that. I don't know what scorelish is, but scorlish? they scored a point. No, they didn't. In in their minds. Oh, in okay. my mind. <laughs> it's a mental point. Not in reality. If you're a Donald Trump supporter, they scored ten points. There but, you go. But, but in reality, they scored zero. No, if you're a Donald Trump supporter, they they scored a billion points and had the biggest crowd and in the history the, of mankind. It was the greatest road game ever. Tremendous. <laughs> um, so I'm super excited about this week's episode. Okay. Well, let's. Which shall we just roll right into it? Well, or? there's a little bit of a lead up because okay. I'm super excited. Um, our listeners already know what it is. Okay. Um, so I'll say excited just because of how rich the topic is. Not obviously that this thing happened. Just the our usual disclaimer. Um, this, this topic first started coming to my mind when I put together our death map. 
So <laughs> I shared to our Facebook page. That will be the title of our metal album, Death by the way. Map. Death Map. <laughs> um, on Google Maps, you can create a map where, like, you pin whatever you want on it, like different locations. Yeah, I've seen that on, on Facebook or something where you can pin different cities you've been to. Yeah, so that's what it's I did. kind of cool. Yeah, that's what I did for the location for all of our disasters thus far. Um, I actually have to do last week, so I haven't, I haven't done Bradford City yet, but... Um, uh, so I, and if not exact locations, then approximate origins, for example, the 1918 flu epidemic, That's true. Like, it that didn't was all have over a, the year without a yeah. summer. Well, the year without a summer, there was that volcano that mm-hmm. I could specifically say. You can pin that. Right. But for, um, the flu epidemic, I went ahead and put a pin in Kansas. Cause remember that That's was thought that that might be an origin. Out of, so yeah. some of them are more approximate than others. Some are exact, like down to the exact location, but <laughs> like Chernobyl. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, we but know exactly so, on a world map where that is. Cause everybody needs to avoid it. Yes. <laughs> but so that was one of the things I was like, well, where haven't we covered all that much geographically speaking? And then the other thing was you directly mentioned this disaster last episode. Are we doing Hillsborough? Nope. I mentioned that last we episode. We did, but this is that we did already did a stadium disaster last. Yeah, okay. I'll give you a big giant hint. What? You were talking about what always comes to your mind when you think oh, of Oh, we're live. doing we're doing a live. We're doing a live. Well, well the movie was called Alive. Yes. The actual tragedy The 1972 Andes f- plane disaster, also known as Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571. That was carrying people from We'll get into okay. all of this. Okay. But there was a big, giant, empty spot in South America. We've only discovered. Uh, we've only covered one South American tragedy. Was that the sludge um, flood? That was Ica. No. That was Hungary. Okay. But it was a landslide. In, yeah. Um, oh, that's yes. That's right. In what? Uh, not Venezuela. It was. Um. Damn it. I thought it was Venezuela. Then was it? I think so. It was in the very northern part of South America. Anyway. Um, but that was it. Sorry to our uh, Venezuelan or South American listeners <laughs> that we can't exactly pin that one down. But it's pinned on our map. It is. So It's the only pin on that mm-hmm. continent. So this, my friends, is going to be a two-parter. Oh, yeah. Um, the first episode, we are going to cover everything through the crash. Next week, we will cover everything that happened after, mm. which... We all know where this is going. That's the. That's when the cannibalism started. As uh, who was it? Dahmer. It was said? Jeffrey Dahmer said yes. Yeah. So and anybody who was a last podcast listener, yes. which we know there are several. <laughs> oh yeah, a couple of people have reached out to oh, us. Yeah. Yep. They that's put that when in the there. cannibalism started. Yes, they put that in the intro. His quote of that. So I'm going to also preface both of these episodes by saying, "There's trigger warnings for everything," <laughs> but. There's going to be so much that's so disturbing about this everything. Is, I think this is going to be our first foray into cannibalism, no? Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. I, think I think so. Because so. um, the only other... Well, there have always been... Not always, but in many disasters, there are people who, like, 
have slower deaths in, in, you know, get buried alive or stuff like that. But the only one where people have had to hang on for a significant period of time, unless I'm missing something, which I might be because we're like 66 episodes in and it's easy for me to forget, but um, the Indianapolis, you know, they had to survive the USS Indianapolis. Oh, yes. To survive okay. in the ocean. Yes. So that dragged on for a while. As far so. as what we've covered, yes. not as far as what's... No, 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 what's actually... There are still plenty of those not. situations left that mm-hmm. we haven't mm-hmm. covered, but... But we are not going to... Our, there will be no cannibalism this episode. Good. We're, yeah. That's going to be that's gonna be next week, so you have cannibalism uh, un, to look Untrigger warning. No cannibalism on this episode. <laughs> but trigger warning... Explicit descriptions of a plane crash and what happened to people in a plane crash, which is why I waited for you to come home safe and sound. Yeah, I didn't want to do this before, <laughs> even though I still think about it every time I fly. And I had a not so great flight from yeah. Appleton, Wisconsin to Atlanta yesterday. Rough one. That was a, yeah. It, it was a flight attendants, please be seated. Yeah, that's that's what it was. Yep. And the yeah. plane moved around a lot, but I was I knew it was going to happen before we even took off because it was pouring down rain. I'm like, yep, it's going to be nothing but turbulence for, yeah. for this ride. Yeah. All right. <sighs> okay. Oh, also, I want to say, because the rest of this is going to be so dark, I'm going to say something so incredibly ridiculous to make everybody laugh before we start with the horror. Um, so the movie Alive, right? Is it Alive exclamation point? No, I think it's no, just, it's just alive. alive. Okay. Yeah. Came well, out in uh, 92, I believe. Okay. Well, I Stars I've, Ethan Hawke. Okay. I've only seen we started watching it at one point and I think I tapped out. I showed you the plane crash Maybe scene because that, that happens pretty early and it happens like 5 minutes into the right. movie. The movie just kind of takes you right into oh the fuck. Whole thing, yeah. 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 But um, when that, and again, like, when that movie came out, you had never seen, like, a more realistic-looking mm. plane crash in a movie. Now it looks very dated. Right, I mean, it's right. 20, but at the time, yeah. 25 years. Yeah. But uh, my, so so thinking of the movie Alive, obviously, while doing this research, because that's what it's, you know, it's a pretty, pretty well-known depiction of this disaster. Um it made me think of alive, like the word alive reminded me of, so I was raised evangelical. I was raised religious and every Christmas and Easter in our church in Miami, we would do a cantata, which is like um, a program of singing and narration to tell a story. Always, you know, if it's at Easter, it's the Easter story. If it's Christmas, it's the Christmas story. Well, one year we did a very dated cantata called Alive. Me, It was for Easter and Alive being that, you know, Jesus is alive. He was resurrected after he was crucified and everything. After three days? Uh-huh. Three days. Yeah. Okay. So. That's plausible. <laughs> so, <laughs> like the past few days, I have had the song Alive stuck in my head. Which one? There are there are a couple no, no, no. songs. No, no, no. Oh, From the one you cantata. did. Okay. Yes. And it's literally like, Alive, alive, Jesus is alive. The prison bars of sin and death, God's power hath torn apart. I mean, literally. I'm, I'm, that's not my real singing voice, everybody. That's Obviously, just like a ridiculous. myself being a Gen Xer, the first song that comes to my mind is Pearl, Pearl Jam's Jam. <laughs> Alive. And then next would come um, 
P.O.D. also did a song that was titled Alive. Preachers on Delivery? Uh, actually, Payable on Death. <laughs> they, they were a Christian metal band. Yeah. That's the band that Kate Hudson, later to be known as Katy Perry, was a backup oh, singer for. Oh, that's right, because she came from Christian music. Mm-hmm. That's right. Anyway, I just wanted to sing we, in a good We didn't know voice. they were Christian metal when those songs came out, and then found out later, like, oh, okay. Yeah, no more... <laughs> No more payable on death. I just wanted to sing that goofy song because that's what's been caught Sounded in my nice. head. Thank you. And sounded way better than my version of Pearl Jam's Alive would have been. I'm still alive. That's a different song. That's you're now you're singing Even Flow. That's a different I know. song. <laughs> I'm just getting all my sillies out. Cause this is going to be a rough one. It's going to be so bad. The goofier I am in the beginning, that's a clear indicator of how bad it's going to be later. Like It's a, it's a um, direct correlation. Level of goofiness to level of awfulness. So are we ready? Yeah, let's, let's, let's delve. All right, also, this is... We are right now around the time of year this happened too so that's part of it too this oh. was 46 years ago almost oh, okay. almost to the day on october really? 13th 1972 uruguayan oh, wow. air force flight 571 crashed in the andean mountains or the andes along the border of chile and argentina eventually killing 29 of the 45 people on board because we know so 16 people made it out yeah and we know the story of survival is a big part of this story, so that's what oh, we're going to yeah. be doing next week. That this is the the initial events. So, uh, yep. Oh, and it's going to get so 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 bad. And you know me, I don't shy away from detail. So, nope. Yep, we're going there. All right. Uh, obviously. Like, we've talked about this disaster quite a bit, but I did want to shout out our fellow disaster podcaster, Jennifer, from Disaster Area, who's like, you guys definitely need to do this. So okay. So, we are. Um, it's also good timing, I thought, because of the death map, like I mentioned. Uh, and, and it's and, close to an anniversary as well. Yes, yes, exactly. So... This is a plane crash on the face of it, right? Like, that's how... It, we're calling it the plane disaster because it... This, this it part, be, it survival be, part was... It went beyond the initial crash. Yes, exactly. The, the crash was, like, the first step in three fucking terrible steps. Uh, basically. Yeah. Basically, yes. So let's start uh, with the background of the flight and who was on board. The plane was a chartered plane, a chartered flight. Chartered by the old Christians Club rugby team. So the club is still around today. You can follow them on Twitter, actually. Oh, okay. They're based in Carrasco, which is a barrio, a neighborhood in Montevideo, Uruguay, which we have talked about. We have. Yes, we have. It seems like a pretty cool place. That's the capital city? Montevideo? I I think it is. Is it? I, I know way. it's a very well-known city yeah. there. I, I guess I'm it, not I think positive. It was the I did not look. but um, So we're going to be talking a lot about South American geography. So we'll start here with Montevideo and Uruguay. So Uruguay is at the southern tip of Brazil. Okay. It's just, just south of uh, Brazil, and it borders Argentina to its east, and lots of coastline along the South Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Montevideo is a coastal city. 
like I said, like so it's a, it's known as kind of like an alternative to Rio. Sure. For for vacationing. Um, it's on the Rio de la Plata, which is uh, an estuary. Which okay, yes. An estuary is where, like, fresh water and... And an ocean meet yeah, up. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, and that's where... So the Rio de la Plata is where the um, Uruguay River and the Paraná River empty into the South Atlantic Ocean. So okay. it's like a little... It, look, I call everything a bay. <laughs> that looks like it just sort of goes inland slightly. It's just a little piece it's an that fits estuary. in it's, it's an estuary. Uh, Buenos Aires is also located on the Rio de la Plata. It's only about um, 280 kilometers or 175 miles west of Montevideo. So okay. Buenos Aires and Montevideo aren't really all that far apart. The old Christian club was started in 1962 by alumni of the Christian Brothers College of Montevideo, also known as Stella, I'm going to say Maurice, but it could be Maris or Maurice College, uh, which is a private Catholic high school, also in Carrasco in Montevideo. It's considered like one of the best high schools in all of Uruguay, so it's kind of prestigious. They currently play in the Primera División, the first division, top of the system, in the local rugby system. So, The club had been the Uruguayan national champions in 1968 and in 1970, and in 1971 they started playing... Uh, games with teams from Chile by traveling to Santiago, Santiago, Chile. They found the most economical way, now this was in 1971, to get the team to Santiago was to charter a plane instead of driving or, like, flying commercial. And they chartered their plane from the Uruguayan Air Force, which I found really interesting because I guess I didn't realize you could charter a plane from an Air Force. Well, probably not in this country unless you're ultra wealthy. But in other countries, I, I mean, it possibly. actually seems it actually seems perfectly economical. Like a well, they you've got to also think this is uh, Uruguay or Uruguay. Uruguay. So if you were to pronounce it with typical a e o u vowels of Spanish, it would be Uruguay. Ur- Uruguay. Yeah, Uruguay. I'm gonna guess. Um, however, though. That they don't, they might today, but at this time they probably don't have close to the same infrastructure that we have. So. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the I didn't delve that far into yeah. Uruguay's history, but um, it's a it's possible. It's, it's possible. It is possible. It's also a much smaller country than America yes, <laughs> for what it's worth. So yeah. So yeah. And I Argentina mean, is is somewhat sizable. Uh, geographically I, speaking, yeah. yes, it's yeah. like most of the southern. So. So driving to Argentina, it depends on where the fuck you're going, I guess. No, they're going to, to they're going to Chile. Or Chile, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Well, Chile is also Chile is very it's narrow. It's not as big as Argentina, but it's very long. Yes, Chile is very long, north to south, very very yeah. Tiny. <laughs> I'm, I'm tiny. making a little. You heard crushing somebody's uh, yeah, head. Yeah, I like am. The kids I crush your head. <laughs> um, but. Well, it's like, you know, to compare it for somebody who is listening outside of the United States, like, oh, I'm going to drive from uh, this part of the United States to the other part. Like, well, which part do you start and where do you wind up? Right. It it could be... 3,000 miles? It could be 100 miles or it could be 3,000 miles. Actually, if you drive from, like, Miami to Seattle or something, it could be well more than that. Probably. Yeah, or Alaska. You're, yeah, you're going. You're going diagonal yeah. from uh, Miami to Seattle. Shit, I never even thought about that. That'd be a long as fuck drive. I flew from Miami to Portland. I mean, not direct. Uh, I connected, but yeah. 
well, that was useful information for everybody to have. Um, it was a long flight, people. <laughs> it was long two flights, but yes. So, I mean, I, I, I think it... It makes per I, I it makes economical sense to charter sure. out a plane. Why not? Yeah. I mean, if you're not actively using it, why not have it turn a profit for you? Again, business business yeah. sense. That might have been why they were doing it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So the distance between Montevideo and Santiago is about sixteen hundred kilometers, which is about three hundred seventy-five miles. Okay, so by that's. Um, Does that sound right? No, that, that sounds way sound less. Right. That sounds way less. If it's 1,600 kilometers, I think it would be more to, than 375 miles. I know. Why did I do that? I'm not sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do kilometers to miles. Google, please tell me. How did I get this wrong? It's almost 1,000 miles. Jesus Christ. Okay, hold on. <laughs> I'm marking this out. Clearly, I did something wrong in well, the Well, it was probably longer. you were just doing research, and that's the number that popped up, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe. Like, so okay, but that's that thou- changes that changes my perception about okay. this whole whole thing. A thousand miles mm-hmm. is driving because I've done this in a bus, mm-hmm. but I've drawn the straight line on Google Maps just to see what I believe from my doorstep of my house that I grew up in in Messina, Messina New York, uh-huh. to where I wound up in Greenville, South Carolina, mm-hmm. was one thousand and seventeen miles. Okay, so it's like half. A little more than half the East Coast. Yes. Like, so. so that's that's a it's fucking. A, it's a it's, it's a, a drive. Haul. It's, it's a, drive. a haul. Like to you charter a plane and you're there in a couple hours. You take a bus. You're there. You know the next day sometime. Me, my dad, and my sister once drove. Well, my dad drove. My sister and I were young from uh, near Minneapolis, Minnesota to Miami in a shot Jesus. in a straight yeah. shot. My dad was much younger than he is now. He's probably about my age actually. Um. With two little kids. That could not have been fun. No. Anyway. So, Santiago is due west, obviously, of Montevideo, slightly northwest. So, it's mostly due west, but a little bit. So, you're you're basically traversing the east to west length mm-hmm. of South America yeah. at that point. Yeah. This is where South America starts to curve inward, not the big fat part of it where Brazil is. I mean that east to west. That is not a derogatory view. Um, so. Watch your mouth. <laughs> no more dead children talk. <laughs> so it was the first trip in this 1971 trip. Remember, they've, they did this the year before. So this was the first trip out of the country for a lot of the players. So they decided to extend the trip and like sure. make it like a vacation and they're kind of And they're kind of kids. Yeah. I mean, they're... I couldn't... So they were alumni yes. of this high school. So they weren't high school kids. But I get the impression it's really hard to find a lot of specific information about the individuals. I believe they're, they're mostly their like in their early 20s. Yeah. So early to mid-20s. So newer alumni yeah. of like... Maybe they graduated, they were not, went to college, got back together. Right. I think that's exactly what it was. They were not high school kids. That's mm-hmm. for sure. But no, they, they were, were adults. They were just beyond college age. They were young adults. Yeah. Younger adults, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, they, they went to Chile, had a good time. Um, and yeah, they, I'll bet. <laughs> and they played two matches. They won one, lost one. Um, and... I'm assuming who they played in this first trip to Chile is who they played in the second trip because it was one of their rivals, it still is, um, called the Old Boys Club. It's an English rugby team uh, in Santiago. So 
The next year, 1972, they decided, well, let's just do this again. We had a great time last year. Let's go ahead. We'll charter the plane. We'll spend some time in, in Santiago, play the games, have have a good time. The cost to charter the whole plane round trip was $1,600. Now, assuming that we're talking about dollars and not pesos, everything I saw online put like a dollar sign before it and didn't delineate that it was pesos. So assuming we are talking about dollars, uh, that's about $9,500 today, which actually... For a whole team, that's pretty good. 40 passengers yeah. could fly for for, for $9,500. Yeah, that that's, seems that's good. pretty good. For that's, a thousand miles? That's $400 a person. No, it's less. Or 40? Uh, anyway. I, we do the math. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I don't do there the There were math. 40 seats, so if they were all filled, that would only be about $40 each for back then, which is... About two hundred forty dollars each, or oh, two fifty. Okay. So, and that's round trip. So that's not bad. I was close, but not so much. <laughs> so obviously, the more people who came, the farther the, 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 le- the lesser the total. Exactly. Well, per the, person. The le- yeah, the lesser per head. So, uh, so there was some initial concern that the flight wouldn't get filled initially, and that they couldn't afford it because the price per head would have been too too much like no one the individuals who were going couldn't cover the cost because they would have had to bear a lot more of the cost Uh, but so then they decided and it made sense to open up the flight and the trip to um the player's family and friends sure so some took advantage of the cheap airfare and the chance to go to chile with their their friends or their their family members so in all there were 19 members of the team on board and 20 friends and family members okay there was a last minute cancellation and uh it was purchased at the last minute by just a random woman who needed to get to santiago for her daughter's wedding okay her name was graciela mariana so and thank fucking God she didn't get on that flight. No, she or she was did. The one who oh, she was the last ticket. one. Oh, I thought you were yeah, saying no. Like, somebody else canceled it the last minute. Oh, so whoever they are, yeah, they gotcha. they dodged a fucking bullet if ever there was one. But poor Graciela did not. They so. dodged possibly being eaten on the side of a mountain after they were already dead. That's an oversimplification, but yeah, it's possible. All right, so. In addition to the passengers, there were five crew members. So there was a total of 45 people on board this flight. Okay. The pilot and the co-pilot were members of the Air Force, obviously. That's another thing that I would think would actually be a little bit of a, wow, this is pretty cool. We're flying on an Air Force plane and we get Air Force pilots. I would feel pretty safe. I'd feel pretty good about my chances. Yeah. Yeah, under under normal circumstances. Especially flying through the Andes Mountains. (laughs) Yeah. So the pilot. Uh, although going back to our Cavalese cable car disaster, uh, these could have been some hotshot dickheads being like, "Hey, let's." Well, we'll get into all, yeah. all those possibilities. So, the pilot was Colonel Julio Ferradas, a very experienced pilot. He had over five thousand hours of flying experience, and the co-pilot was Colonel Dante Lagrara. I think I said that right. <laughs> um, who was not as experienced, and he was being trained. By Colonel Ferraris on this particular flight. That's going to become very pertinent. Shortly. Yeah, but it will. So the plane they were flying was a Fairchild FH-227D. So this is a chartered flight. It's an Air Force plane. We are obviously not talking about some giant jet. 
uh, and it only had a passenger capacity of 40, so we're talking about a twin turboprop. Yeah, it's a it's an early 70s um, luxury private plane, kind of, a little bit. Like a, it's kind of a puddle jumper-ish sort no, of I've, thing. I've, trust me, I've been on plenty of those that are about this size and smaller. And uh, I have not, thank fucking God, yeah, this is kind of my nightmare. They don't sit still all that no, much. No. <laughs> So, and it, it actually wasn't some well-known mass-produced type of plane. I mean, this isn't a Cessna or something. Yeah. Something like some Uruguayan or Argentinian no. built in the back of his garage. Nope, no, it I'm was uh, American. <laughs> <laughs> I believe, if I'm, I, I didn't write this in here, but I think it was a, an American company, but built in, like, somewhere in the Scandinavian area. So, anyway... Um, but there were only 78 FH-227s built in total. Okay. So it's one of a, it's a small batch plane. <laughs> uh, this particular FH-227D was a newer plane. It was only four years old with about 792 hours of time in the air. Now, ominously, this particular plane was notorious amongst the pilots who had flown it for being underpowered. So much so they nicknamed it the lead sled. Oh. And again, and that's going to come I, up. I know for damn sure that that comes into play. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So phase one here. Hi, David and Rachel here, interrupting ourselves. For full disclosure, it is Monday morning, the day that this is coming out, and Rachel, I, just realized that I deleted an entire section. So, again, full disclosure, we are re-recording this. So it may not be as scintillating as it was the first time around, but we're just going to fill in a little bit of the blanks and then return you to our pre-recorded. Yes, Monday morning is off to a fantastic start because I just cleaned up cat puke as well. Yes, we're off and crawling this Monday morning, so... Thankfully, it's not a Monday I have to work. Yes, that's true. Otherwise, we'd have to wait, Mm -hmm. pretty much. So, So we just talked about the lead sled. And we're leading up to uh, the the takeoff. So, the plane took off from Carrasco International Airport on October 12, 1972. And it was supposed to be a straight shot to Santiago. But there was a storm coming over the Andes. And they had to land in Mendoza, Argentina and stay there overnight. So, a little bit of geography about the Andes, also called the Andean Mountains. They are the largest above water mountain range in the entire world, running about 7,000 kilometers or 4,300 miles long, between 200 and 700 kilometers, which is 120 to 430 miles wide, and an average elevation of 4,000 meters or 13,000 feet. The highest mountain outside of Asia is in the Andes, um, Mount can, I see. I had a I had a shot to do this once, and now I still can't pronounce it. <laughs> it's okay. Mount Aconcagua. Yes. Sure. <laughs> Ju- judges. <laughs> ding, ding, yes. Ding. <laughs> Which is six thousand nine hundred sixty-one meters, or twenty-two thousand eight hundred thirty-eight feet above sea level. So all that to say, this is a motherfucker of a mountain range, and uh, that's right. Also, a fine chocolate mint candy product. <laughs> we talked about yes, Andy, <laughs> Andy's mints, which we always got at Christmas. We talked about yes. that and in uh, our first go. <laughs> what they've left out of uh, disclosing at Andy's mints is this has pieces of their survivors in the candy. <laughs> So you had a couple days to think about that one, huh? <laughs> no, that one actually just came to me because okay. I'm still not awake yet. 
so my mind goes to dark places when Apparently. I'm not fully awake. <laughs> so the Andes quite literally run down the entire and, and pieces of the plane. <laughs> down the entire west coast of South America, basically parallel to the Pacific Ocean coast. The range runs through Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina. And Mendoza, Argentina, probably felt frustratingly close to this plane's destination of Santiago. It's only a... a Santiago. Santiago. (laughs) Santiago. It's only about 120 miles or 200 kilometers northeast of Santiago as the crow flies. Unfortunately, between the two cities are the Andes, and more specifically, the Southern Andes. So because the Andes are so long, they run through multiple climates, so there are different weather conditions based on location and altitude. And very imaginatively, they're called the Northern Andes, the Central Andes, and the Southern Andes. And even the Southern Andes are split into subregions: the Dry Andes to the north and the Wet Andes to the south. The area that 571 would need to fly over was in the southern part of the northern region, so the southern part of the Dry Andes. The Dry Andes are delineated from the Wet Andes by the fact that there are penitentes in the Dry Andes, but not in the Wet Andes. So I'll show you this picture again, even though you've seen it. Yeah, because I did kind of forget about these. (laughs) That the penitentes are these, um, like, we talked about this too. Stalactites or stalagmites? Which are the ones? I think that it's stalactites. Are the ones that come from the ground and go up? I think so. Okay, so they're one, like one or the other. They're pointy, icy formations, and they are called penitentes because they look like um, people in hoods doing penitence. They kind of so, do. It, it is kind of weird. And they're in like, rows often yeah. too. So that yeah, De- definitely. If you're listening to this, look this up on Google. Yes, it's, it's really. Uh, it's both creepy and fascinating at yeah, the same time. Yeah, it is kind of interesting, and especially because like there's a, that not... That looks like a face right there on this one. It does. Yeah. You're right, it does. It's it really It looks like creepy. one of the guys from Star Wars. <laughs> um, and notice how there's not as much snow around them either. No, it's just they're kind of just there. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, penitentes is what those are called. And also, the dry Andes also have less per- precipitation... Hence the name, the Dry Andes, um, then the Wet Andes, and also have big swings in temperature. So that is our best effort for those two paragraphs this Monday morning. And we now return you to the rest of the story. <laughs> I think we bring up Paul Harvey later, too, anyway. Do we? So anyway, yeah. <laughs> happy Monday. Yeah, we have special guest Paul Harvey on this episode. <laughs> Not really, but... <laughs> no, it's me. <laughs> See you later. So even though the distance between Mendoza and Santiago is only like 120 miles, the altitude of the Andes is really high between them, so much so that planes have to fly about 26,000 feet up to clear them. And the FH-227D, what the Flight 571 was, uh, had a limit of 28,000 feet that it could fly at. So it would be really pushing it. Plus... um, the flight was at capacity. There was um, 45 people on board, which was the max that there could be, and it would have taken a huge fuel demand to climb that many people that high in that plane. So the usual route for planes, like Flight 571, was to actually take them from Mendoza down south then over the Andes to the west, and then back up north. So like a giant U-shape is the idea. 
the route was three times farther, so about 600 kilometers or 370 miles, and typically took about an hour and a half. Yeah, so, not a not, not a not big long, deal. Still not oh. a long flight. Not super direct, but still not not a long flight. Hey, an hour and a half in a plane to get to where you need to go? That's not that bad. No, no, it's not. So, uh, next phase of this whole incident. On October 13th, the initial plan was for 571 to take off in the morning, but the weather was still an issue, so they had to wait a bit, and it was expected to clear up by the early afternoon, and so they ended up taking off at 2.18 p.m. local time from Mendoza. And exactly as planned, the flight headed south at an altitude of 18,000 feet, or um, 5,500 meters, and the co-pilot, La Guarda, I didn't do it so good that time, La Guarda, there we go, radioed the airport in Malague, a city south of Mendoza, reported their position and said that they would be reaching the Paso del Planchon, yes, at 3.21 p.m. at an altitude of 8,250 feet or 2,515 meters. So the Paso del Planchon, which translates to the Planchon Pass, uh, so El Paso, Texas, just means the pass. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I guess it would. Interesting, yeah. yeah. So it's a mountain pass, obviously. It's a navigable way to get through the mountains at that point, which is why they were flying there, because it was a lower altitude of mountains. It's, it's an easier route to take. Yes, yes. It, it, they don't have to fly nearly as high as they would have over other parts of the mountains. Much more navigable, even on a plane, put a lot less strain on the fuel capacity, all that. So Paso del Planchon is on the border of Chile and Argentina, about 265 kilometers or 165 miles south and slightly southeast of Santiago. So kind of like if you were to take Mendoza and Santiago, meet in the middle, and then head south, it was it was about there. Okay. So, um, oh, this pass, the Planchon Pass, is also where air traffic control hands off from Argentina to Chile. Makes sense because sure. you're crossing the border. Yeah. So, uh, so Colonel Ferradas, the pilot, again. Very experienced. He had successfully flown over the Andes a total of 29 times. So he knew how to do this. This is, But, as I mentioned, the co-pilot, Colonel Lagorada, was being trained by Ferradas, so he was considered the pilot in command of Flight 571, at least for all intents and purposes. As 571 approached Paso del Planchon, there was significant cloud cover over the mountains, which required yes, there was mm, as the movie says, mm-hmm. <laughs> which required that they fly by instrument meteorological conditions or IMC instead of visual flight rules or VFR. You're nodding intensely. Did they cover this in the movie? Uh, they didn't use all those terms, but in yes. So, do you know what what instrument meteorological? Um, uh, conditions are. I believe the uh, the nickname for it is called flying blind, where you're strictly relying on your instrument panels to get you to where you need to go. Right. Basically. Uh, also, how JFK Jr. died. Oh, he was flying supposedly. Blind too? Yes. Okay. Yes. Supposedly. Supposedly. Allegedly. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, the 
the idea in flying is that visual flight rules is ideal because it means you can see. Sure, shit. you can see. That's always fun. See and avoid. So it's always they call a bonus. Uh huh. Especially when there's fucking mountains involved. Right, and it has its own set of protocols and rules and procedures because you can rely on visualizing things. Yeah. Like other planes, obstructions, mountains. Your instruments are designed to be your other set of eyes, but still, it also would help the cause if you could just see, have your see eyes as yeah. well. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Be like yeah. that guy in a Pan's Labyrinth, like oh, opening, <laughs> opening his eyes with his hands. That's one of my favorite like, things to do. That's kind of the situation they were in in this fucking disaster. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. They, so yes, basically they were they were flying blind, and obviously this is usually required when it's cloudy or stormy because you can't visualize. Pretty things. fucking sure our pilot from uh from, from <laughs> most of the trip from uh Appleton. from Appleton to Atlanta was flying blind because I couldn't see a fucking thing and I was sitting on the window. Uh, and I'm like, yeah. And so imagine your pilot was flying over flat country. Yeah. Well up in the air. Thank fucking Christ. They were flying blind this over is why a I'm huge always, mountain range. This is why I'm always fucking thinking of <laughs> <About> this damn <laughs> thing. <laughs> but you didn't... But even though flying blind, you weren't flying over a fucking huge mountain range. That's the upside. Or you also weren't on a turboprop. I was not. That's true. So there's a <laughs> but, few but things. I've, but I've been on the turboprop many times yeah. before. Trust me. <laughs> so they were navigating... By their instruments, exactly what you were saying. So, what was supposed to happen, <laughs> because we're now supposed, getting well, into... What, what was supposed to happen is they were supposed to land in Santiago. Well, more specifically. <laughs> <laughs> That's what was supposed to happen. They were supposed to, so they had flown south. They were supposed to fly west over Planchon Pass, and then to Curicó, Chile. So that was on the western side of the pass. And then once they were in Curicó, they would turn north. And then that's at that point, they could start their descent um, towards Santiago. Uh, and then land at the Parahuel Airport in Santiago, currently known as Comodoro Arturo Merino Benitez International Airport or Aeropuerto Internacional Comodoro Arturo Merino Benitez. Sí. Gracias. <laughs> it typically... <laughs> Me amo David. That's as, that's, as, that's, that's as far as my Spanish goes. Mucho gusto, David. <laughs> um, it typically took about 11 minutes to fly from the pass to Curicó. Okay, so, so not so just the... that was the ETA. It's like yeah. a little short p- part of the journey, right? So... So essentially, he's going to be pinging three or four different towers on his way to Santiago because he's got to go around and. I don't know about that stuff, but sure. Yeah, probably. Um, that's not a couple pertinent, of, but sure. <laughs> but I'm but I'm saying like because he's on a border, there's probably going to be several airfields that will be pinging his location, knowing right, where he right. is. Right, and they were handing yes. off yes. too at that point because he was crossing the border. Yeah. So yeah. So, 11 minutes is what it was going to take, roughly, to fly from the pass to Curicó. So imagine, to everyone's surprise, when at 3.21 p.m., literally just like a minute after navigating the pass, Colonel Lagurara told air traffic control in Santiago he expected they would be flying over Curicó in one minute. Okay. So, like, it was going to take them a minute to get to Curicó instead of 11 minutes. Okay. 
Um, then three minutes later, La Gurara told Santiago Air Traffic Control they were right then over Corico and turning north. Okay. So this is where things went wrong. Is he not taking the right flight path? First of all, he's in the wrong place. He thinks he's in Corico. He has not even reached Corico yet. Okay. He's like eight minutes or seven minutes away. So he was, he had the oh, wrong place, I first of all. Fucking, I, okay. He I thought see. he was through the pass. He was not through the pass. I see where this is going to become a fucking serious problem. And so instead of clearing the pass and turning north. He's still in it. He's in the path and starts turning north. Not only that, he later investigations showed that he didn't even turn at the right angle. So he, I, I think what it was was that he didn't turn far enough. Although it's possible he turned too far. I couldn't figure out the coordinates, like what they were talking about. Either way, anyway, either way we know what the end result is. So. He didn't clear the pass, and he started turning north at a wrong angle anyway. Um, so things were going majorly awry with the navigation. Um, unfortunately, Santiago Air Traffic Control not only didn't know this, but somehow they also didn't pick up on the fact that they were also reporting you know, that they had cleared the Andes way too soon. So after turning, when La Guerrera requested permission to descend to 11,500 feet or 3,500 meters, the permission was granted. Sure. So he was when now it, beginning... When it should not have been. He was now beginning a descent directly into the Andes Mountains. He thought he had completely cleared the pass and it was just normal and, and he was given the okay to do it. Is this matching up with uh, Alive thus far? It very much is. Did they, they don't go, go that? They do not go into the detail. They go through... The action sequences of what happened. Did they show the co-pilot, the training co-pilot? In that Not way? really. They show them mostly like partying on the plane, smoking oh. cigarettes and <laughs> drinking and stuff. Oh, Cause, gotcha. Because it was because you could do that in 1972. 70s. Oh, let me show you. Uh, here's another picture. Super blurry, but that's everybody. I'm. I mean, not everybody, but a few of the guys on mm-hmm. board board the flight. So. So that's how the movie starts. It doesn't show them taking. It's you, the movie starts. They're okay. in the air. They're it doesn't on show the, the delay or any of that. No, they're um, they're being young twenties boys. Yeah, Cosna Cosna Ruckus, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if this happens or not for real, but in the movie, all of a sudden, kind of they come out of the fog. Don't. Let's okay, yep. okay. Let me get that's that's what we're gonna get okay. into. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so now we're gonna get into the actual crash. Um. I, I, and yeah, I tapped out of watching too much of Alive because I don't like seeing plane crashes portrayed for the exact reason that you have still, <laughs> you have that movie always playing in your head. I don't want to be thinking of that. I don't want to be visualizing that. Um, Flight with Denzel helps, Washington it, also had a crash. Scene. I did not see that, but in a, in a weird way, it helps me think of, well, it can't get any fucking worse than that. <laughs> well, <laughs> or can it? I guess. <laughs> Um, I know okay. I'm, I know I'm not flying over the Andes right now, so. <laughs> so, needless to say, if you're about to get on a plane, stop listening. But, um, w- and, and just a fair warning, I know we say trigger warning for everything. We're going to get really into the details, including right, how people fucking, die. This is fucking bad. We're going to look this whole disaster right in its face, and it's going to be really bad. So if that's a little too intense for you... We'll see you next week for cannibalism when things get lighter. Yeah.
which is who knew, not the case. Who, who knew somebody's ass tasted so good? It did not come out the way I wanted it to. <laughs> but either way. <laughs> oh, my God. If you have to resort to cannibalism, people, that's where you start with the rump. We're not discussing cannibalism <laughs> this week. We'll, we'll discuss all that next week. But if you, if you choose not to listen to this episode, go back and listen to Centralia. Nobody dies. Yeah, that's true. That's, so. our, only, that's our only episode where yeah. nobody dies. Just a yeah. town, but whatever. We have plenty of those. <laughs> yeah. So, to summarize the plane's navigation problems at this juncture, they didn't know where they were. They thought they had cleared the mountains. They had not. So they were very much still in the mountains. Now, at this point, the plane started to descend and severe turbulence kicked in. Uh, Survivors remember the plane dropping so far at one point that they dropped below the clouds. And at that point, they could see how close they were to the mountains. Uh, So initially the turbulence was just sort of induced that kind of like jokey, "Uh uh-oh, you know, things are getting rough, kind of where you sort of laugh at, try to laugh it off because it is really terrifying to go through, even even non-dangerous turbulence. It's not fun. It is not fun. My dad claims he enjoys turbulence because it's like being on a ride. Yeah, fuck that. (laughs) I do not enjoy that. That's not a ride I want to be on where I feel like I'm going to fall out of the sky. Nope, nope, nope. Um, so when they dropped so far that they saw the mountains and how close they were, that was when everybody was like, shit. And especially imagine the pilot's surprise when he's like, holy motherfucker, I thought we were out of the mountains to quote, altogether. To quote a guy in the early 90s, I cannot remember his name is all at all, but he was in several like indie type movies. Um, if somebody's my age in American, maybe you've seen this dude. But they show him saying, are we supposed to be flying this close to the mountains? Oh, in the um, in, in the, the movie. movie. So, yeah, right? <laughs> and I'm sure he wasn't the only one to realize that. But <laughs> yeah. in the movie, they show him being like, uh, this is somewhat concerning. And it's right then that the pilots realize that, yeah, no, we're not supposed to be flying this close to the mountains. Well, see, at this point, too, because, yes, they could now see. But what they saw was that they were literally headed were straight kind of, for were, a mountain ridge. The movie depicts it as in their somewhat of in like kind of like a bowl. Like they're in between two stretches of peaks. I, I don't but, know about that. All I yeah. know is that they were headed straight for a mountain ridge. Yeah. Like dead on for mm-hmm. a mountain ridge. At this point the pilot literally had one thing to do and it was pull, pull up, up. And try to ascend, max out power, climb as high as possible and as quickly as possible. But do you remember the nickname of this plane? Yes, it was the lead. Uh, the lead sled. The lead sled. Which the sled part we'll get to in a minute. But just the pack, the fact that this plane was basically underpowered, it couldn't a sudden, perform. A sudden jolt of thrust. A it sudden just, maneuver it just, it just like couldn't that. handle. One survivor of the plane w- said, or one survivor said that the plane was basically vertical. At this point, more or less, which I can't Jesus even. Christ, no. And it, quote, began to stall and shake, end quote. So, as if that weren't terrifying enough, the ground collision alarm went off on the plane. As the name would suggest. Which also happens in the movie. Okay, as the name would suggest, 
It's an alarm that's meant to tell you you are about to fucking Way crash. Way too close. To something, and you're about to crash. So, despite the pilot's attempts to gain altitude, the plane struck the Andes Mountains at 3.34 p.m. Now, the exact way this happened has been pieced together from witness accounts and investigations. Sure. It's still a little bit of an assumption-based thing. Either way, it fucking hit the mountains. Well, but, but so here's what's thought to have happened. So that the first thing that happened was that so they were they were trying to just go. They up. were just trying to get altitude as quick as they could. And the tail of the plane clipped the mountain ridge. Mm-hmm. So this would have been in an altitude of forty two hundred meters or thirteen thousand eight hundred feet. Next, the right wing was taken clean off the plane. This plane was basically amputated. I'm, I'm actually surprised because all of this happens in the movie. Okay. At this point, so they did this part of it okay. accurately. Well, anyway, let's keep yeah. let's keep going. Yeah, at this point, it's thought that the force of this second collision took off the vertical stabilizers and the tail cone. So we talked and about we vertical know, we and know horizontal happens, stabilizers. Then you have zero control of the plane for yes, the most part. Yes, basically, and the tail cone is the very end of the of the tail. And when the tail cone was torn off, this is your last chance to back out, people. Um, it took off most of the back of the plane with it, and it, unfortunately, at this point, the first casualties were incurred as five people fell out the back of the plane. Lieutenant Ramon Martinez, the plane's navigator, Orvido Ramirez, the plane's steward, and three passengers, Gaston Costamaye, Alejo Unie, and Guido Magri. So, unfortunately, at this point, those five individuals... Got sucked out of the back of the plane. They fell out of the back of the plane and and died. Now, after that horribleness, this one-winged plane lunged through the air, uh, like, a little bit, and then the left wing hit, um, and it was gone. So, at this point, we're talking about a tube. Mm -hmm. It, it, It has no wings, nothing, and no back portion of it. And then to add bad to worse, when the left wing was severed, its propeller slashed through the fuselage, which is the main body of the plane. And two people, Daniel Shaw and Carlos Valletta, were in what is certainly my my worst nightmare of a plane crash scenario. They were sucked out of the back of the open plane. And I've got to say, even though we know where this whole story is going to go, what horrors the survivors are going to have to endure, I, for me, Carlos and Daniel died in what is the scariest way possible to me, being sucked out of a plane. And they show that in the movie. To get more horrific, because why stop now? Uh, Carlos survived the fall initially. Oh, really? Okay. But he fell into snow yeah. and asphyxiated. Yeah. So fuck, I fuck all that. This whole disaster is like an adding insult to injury scenario. Just one huge like let's see how much we can fuck these people over. It's uh take like the maximum amount of suffering that you can think of and And add a few more and just add yeah, yeah, just yeah. add a couple of you know <laughs> let's sprinkle on some more tragedy. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ, fuck that. So at this point, you know, this literally was just a metal tube hurling through the air. So the inevitable happened. It hit 
the mountain and lived up to its name of the lead sled. It slid down a sleep, sleep slope. A steep, steep slope. slope. <laughs> of the mountain. It slid down the slee stacks. <laughs> it slid at 220 miles per hour. Fucking A. 350 kilometers per hour. And, for, and, and it slid for 725 meters, almost a mile. I'm surprised it didn't go farther than that. 220 miles per hour. Oh, well, here's why. It fucking hit a snowbank. Yes, it did. <laughs> See, you keep verifying my <laughs> my story from the movie. It's a little weird. I am honestly, but no, I am honestly surprised that they... It sounds like they seem to do it justice. Well, like, of what actually happened. I imagine they would have had to. This was such a... Well, not famous ne- disaster. Not necessarily. I mean, uh, I'd never freaking heard of it okay. until I saw it. Well, that. maybe it's the movie that actually yeah. made it more famous. I don't know. So, it hit a snowbank head on. At 200 miles an hour. At 220 miles per hour. The cockpit was crushed. Colonel Ferratus was crushed and died upon impact. Uh, Colonel Lagrada was crushed and trapped, but did survive the initial impact. We're not going to talk yet about what happened to him. We'll get to him next week. In the plane's cabin, the seats, that the ones that were still there, because obviously part of the plane was just gone, had been hurled forward on impact, and four people died on impact. Dr. Francisco Nicola, the team's doctor, and his wife Esther, Eugenia Parado, and medical student Fernando Vasquez. At this point, if we add it up, our body count is up to 12. This left 33 survivors. We know that our ultimate survival toll is 16, so half of these people are not going to be around after plus, next week. Plus one. Yep. God. Everyone was injured, some very seriously, many broken bones. Um, and as I said in the introduction, 29 people died from this disaster, 16 people survived. Next week, we'll get into how the remaining victims died, and how the others lived. As we know, this nightmare was far from over. It's just getting started. And that, my friends, is part one of the 1972 Andes flight, wait, Andes plane disaster, that's it, (laughs) also known as Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571. And... uh... I don't know if it's on there currently. There, It was on there for a bit of time after you listened to this or before, or however you prefer. Um, uh, the movie Alive was on Netflix for a little while. I don't know if it still is because I watched again maybe like a year ago. And I was like, yeah, it's about as terrible as I remembered it was. Yeah. But I'm honestly really surprised that every detail you just laid out mm-hmm. plays out in the movie. Yeah. They, it sounds like they really didn't take any liberties concerning the crash. Mm-mm. I'm sure they do a the little story. bit with the survival part. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, fuck all of that. And that's something I also think about every time I'm 10,000 feet in the air. Yeah. <laughs> Is this fucking thing. Yep. And I hope our dear listeners do not think about that same thing when they're up there on a plane. Well, something to something I will say that makes me feel slightly better. There there were several aggravating factors here. Yes. They were flying in a dangerous area. That perfectly navigable, but still 
Well, something that the the main pilot had been through many times before. So he right, but they had a but they were in a small plane. We're talking forty six years ago. Technology's gotten a lot better since then. Like I feel like the exact dangers to this flight aren't often replicated in modern flight. Probably not. You know, so probably not. This is not necessarily some. I mean, there's other crashes we've covered that are way more likely to happen um, to us. I can't I, It was either right before I moved here, or I think maybe it was a couple of months after 9-11. Um, there was a plane crash in Buffalo where what happened was, um, I mean, there are so many. We'll probably never get to this, and this will be way down the line. Um, when the pilot was flying in, they kind of overcorrected as when to break in the air. So the plane oh, went... tilted up? Yes. Like, oh, and then and tilted back, back. Oh, God. And obviously everybody on that Jesus, flight died. that's horrible. Um, but that's what instituted... I don't know if this is still a rule, but this is what brought up the fact of... Like, that pilot that day had done, like, six takeoffs and landings. Oh, And now it's gotcha. like... I think it's like you can't do any more than three. Okay. It's because that's, that's the stressful part of yes. each flight uh-huh. is the takeoff and the yep. landing. Yep. So For the passengers, too. <laughs> yeah. Yep. For everybody involved. <laughs> and I just did six of them. Yes. <laughs> One of them was not so much fun. But, um, but uh, yeah. I See, I used to never mind flying at all. I, mm. I Back in the day, I could have cared less. Like, when I was, like, mm-hmm. in my teens or 20s, I was just like, oh, this is fun, mm-hmm. you know? Now, I'm just, I, I don't, I don't. Why do you think that is? Probably because I have more to lose. Aw. I mean, really. That's, mm-hmm. that's probably what it is. That's sweet. You know, I don't and feel. And sad. I feel badly that, <laughs> but it's sweet. <laughs> yeah. But, uh. Yeah, that flight from Appleton to Atlanta really fucking sucks. <laughs> you know, it's and funny. it didn't help that I was I was in the exit row. Oh, okay. Because so that was like a two and a half hour flight, uh-huh. and halfway through it, like I started getting cold because the door is fucking right there. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. So, but I was just I was too proud to ask the flight attendant for like a blanket. I'm like, I don't want to be a blanket, yeah, please. Like I don't want to be a pussy. Like I just <laughs> oh, got like I just gotta just gotta deal with this. But I couldn't wait. Get on the fucking ground. <laughs> did you have a couple drinks? Oh, yes, yeah. I did. I'm sure you saw them come up on the credit I card. <laughs> I was asking for our listeners. <laughs> no, but, I, got a, uh, I got a double sapphire and tonic. There you go. And there was this awesome place in the Atlanta airport. Uh, it's the only restaurant I can think of in any airport where you can still smoke. Oh. They have, like, a hermetically sealed room off to the side. So as soon as I landed... Was like right when the Monday night football game was gonna start. I'm like, I'm getting a fucking double sapphire. I'm gonna have like three or four cigarettes back to back to back to back, <laughs> <laughs> and get a little get a little bit sedated while I'm here. Can understand that. <laughs> I I've gotten better flying as you have you, witnessed. You have, and I've gotten worse. Mm-hmm. You know what really helped me? Because there was that period um, starting. Yeah, it was last year where I was doing a lot of flying yeah, back Yeah, we were going to Florida all the time. Yes, yeah, so I was going to Miami to help my grandparents yeah. a lot. And I couldn't, like, I couldn't deal with being nervous because it was just too much. Yeah. It, it would just be too often and too much. So I actually listened, and I can't remember what podcast it was. There was, basically, I Googled. There, you know, there's a podcast for everything, um, a fear of flying podcast. Yeah. And it came up and there were, basically it was a guy who 
was interviewing experts on various forms or or, or various aspects of the scientific part of flying. Sure. You know, because I, I think like a lot of well, people... It's, it's got to bend and move and well, do... like a lot of people, I feel like part of my fear comes from not getting it. You know, flying feels really unnatural. Like, how is this giant heavy that's thing not, that's, suspended? That's in, not my well, fear at me, all. Yeah. yeah, but for me, it, it is. Yeah. And um, so explaining... The science behind it really helped. And one of the most helpful episodes to me was an expert was talking about... Because my main thing is turbulence. I don't like the feeling of turbulence. I don't like roller coasters, none of that shit. That um, sinking feeling in your stomach, like, that's miserable to me. So what they explained turbulence, and they're basically like, you know... If you're in the water or on the water, there are waves, right? Well, there's currents in the air, too. So that's basically what you're doing. You're riding, riding the waves. And it's really only in the clouds. Like, when you're going through the clouds, well, that's when you're going to... That's not necessarily true. No, there I'm, are currents, I'm saying... The worst of it, I'm yes. saying the majority but, of but it. But still, yeah. it, just the idea that there are currents in the air, that yeah. that is normal, yeah. and that planes are fully built to withstand huge amounts not of Not withstand, that. go along with it. Well, but still, they was, they don't yeah. fall apart. No, that's what I'm saying. Because but they're, they go they're kind it. of working yes, with it. Exactly. Yeah. So that really helps. Yeah. So now every time I'm in a plane and it, there's turbulence, I just think to myself, we hit a wave. Yep. We're surfing. We just, but we're still up. We're fine. We're cool. Yeah. And it helps. It helps a lot. My me. whole fear is just, you know, just not being in control. Like mm-hmm. I'm not in the cockpit. I can't see what's going on in front of me. I'm completely relying on somebody else. You know, that's. That, I think that's the issue for a lot of people yeah. too. For me, I'm so I take on responsibility so easily. I'm actually really glad I'm not the one in control. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a little too much for me. <laughs> I feel it's hard enough being responsible for no, other people's money. It's, that's my. But <laughs> uh, that that's my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I'm flying, is just just the not common. just the not being in in mm-hmm. control because uh, most people are used to driving. Most people right, most right. people have their own car, right. so kind of for the Even most part, it's way more dangerous than it flying. Is, it but, doesn't feel like. But for the most part, whatever happens is pretty much on you. For the most part, there's there's there are other, weird random yeah. shit that you just couldn't avoid. Well, but, and other drivers. Yeah, but um, yeah, um. So after, there's after, our whole after, fear of flying. After, after six takeoffs and six landings in three days, like I'm just glad to be on solid ground. Be on the ground. And our next trip is a drive, so it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Statistically more dangerous, but less nerve wracking. Yes, much less. So there's that. So anyway, next week we will get to the the rest. Uh, oh, who is it? Paul Harvey? Is that his name? The rest. The rest of, of the, the story. story. My grandpa used to listen to him. When I was a little kid, I thought he uh, broadcasted out of my hometown, and come to find out, like later on, I was like, no, that was like a national. Oh, thing. Like, <laughs> you thought it was a local yeah, I thought, program. I thought, the dude lived, I thought Paul Harvey <laughs> lived in Messina, New York. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's cute. So the rest of the story. Yep, the rest of the story: cannibalism and all. But you know what? I think. Cannibalism is just the most sensational part of that story. We're going to get into all of it. Um, well, it's it, and again, it's sounding like so far, so far the movie's kept up with reality. Mm-hmm. So again, it's up to you. 
check us out first, then do the movie, or do the movie and then do us, whatever you want to do. But read but the I, Wikipedia page, whatever you want to do. I don't but think no, but I But I honestly strongly recommend the movie, because it's a really good movie. It's okay. really good. Really good. Um, well, it's all because of it. And this is, yes, it is. <laughs> the most beautiful man that ever existed. You don't really I'm, think that, no, do you? I'm okay. Kidding. I was like, no, there's prettier people. But uh, that's that that's that's very uh, that's very early Ethan Hawke. That's when he somewhat became kind of an adult. Mm. This is after uh, Dead Poets Society. Ah, I saw that once. I saw it once too a long time ago. Is that the Oh Captain, My Captain? Mm-hmm. They all stand up on the desks. Yeah, yeah. It's probably Robin Williams' best, best performance. Known. Best um, performance, not best known. I mean, he won an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting. Yes, he did, but he was so. not the lead. He was the he was the lead in. Uh, was he or were the kids the lead? No, I think. Well, the kids were kind of the ensemble. I think Robin Williams was the the driver of that movie. That's how I remember of it. <laughs> We've clearly gone quite off. Yes, topic we have. This I, I, we apologize, <laughs> listeners. Not really. And we apologize to the people that don't listen to us anymore because of our banter. <laughs> <laughs> Whom we have proven right. <laughs> Again. Oh, and there's uh, Demetrius. There's Demetrius. All right. Uh, so, uh, know your exits. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that was the... Part one of the 1972 one. Andy's plane disaster. And I'm David. Um, this has been another episode. You forgot. You gotta say, I'm Rachel. No, you say, this has been another episode. Oh, I did forget. You're right. <laughs> this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. What was it we were saying about control? (laughs) Something about that. Know your exits, people.